0: Welcome to today's edition of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Today's edition of Front Porch Talks took place on our 25th anniversary Minge Retreat from Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene down to Ocracoke
1: Island, North Carolina, April 10th through the 13th. This year's theme was Lead On, and in Session 2 of the Minge Retreat, Pastor Billy Logan came and spoke on Servant Leadership. I'm going to ask uh, my friend Derek uh, Wise to come up. If you don't know Derek, uh, he's a great man. And uh, to me, Derek has been a leader for a long time. He, uh, he's a friend to me, but he's really like family. When I was new, kind of new to the valley and new to our church and, well, through different circumstances, I actually lived with uh, Derek and Tammy two different times. So my kids, he's like Uncle Derek, you know? And uh, while we're not related by blood at all, um, we're family and we consider each other family. So tonight, I'm inviting all my family to come to the mic. And Derek, uh, if you know Derek, he's not somebody that says, you know, I, give me the mic. i mean you know, this is not his thing, at least wanting to be up front. But I specifically asked Derek this year at Men's Retreat, knowing we were talking about leadership. Derek has been through a lot, if you know his story, and he's gonna share it here in a minute. He's been through a lot, but I've seen Derek grow in a lot of ways, but specifically as a leader. And so, I, I really thought with the topic this weekend, I don't want you to just hear from the Word of God, I want you to see it lived out in men's lives. And so, tonight, he's going to take a few minutes, and then we're going to worship a little bit more and, and hear from the Word, but he's just going to share a little bit of what the Lord's been doing in his life, and through some joy and through some pain, uh, what he's teaching them. And so, um, would you help welcome him tonight? And I'm grateful that he's here to with us
2: tell you is he gave me three chances to get out of this before that's right. I did this tonight. And I think that's a, for those of you that know me the longest, uh, Carrie and Roger, probably surprised that I even said yes in the first place, <laughs> right? So, why am I up here tonight? Um, I was asking why Adrian did this, and he stood up this morning, and some of you are carrying burdens, and uh, been there, done that, God shows up in everything. And all the way through, he will always be there for you. Make sure you take it to him. Okay? Then call on your friends and your family and your life group and your church, and they'll come alongside of you, and they'll get you through it too. And so one word stood out to me when Adrian was talking this morning. Happens to be my word for the year, which is hope. So some of you need some hope tonight. So I'm going to share with you a couple things uh, that stood out with me when I was going through the darkest time of my life. And so let me share that part of the story first so you know where we are. So, um, May 21, 2015, should have been probably one of the highlights of my life. We got the word, Tammy and I were in the car together, and we got the word that uh, our adoption was finalized. And for some of you, that's not a big story. Some of you know it was 17 years of hoping and praying and going through fertility treatments and IUIs and two IVTs and lots of shed tears and grief. And so finally we were going to be called mom and dad. However, we were headed to the doctor and that doctor told us that Tammy's cancer came back after 20 years and... 20 years is supposed to be the magical number where it doesn't come back. And uh, she had felt some things, felt some unusual stuff, and knew her body better than the doctors did. And so we go into it with hope. Because without hope, how do we go on? And so uh, we're going to fight. And Tammy was definitely a fighter. Uh, 16 weeks. uh, Every other week, chemo. Uh, left her in bed. We fought on. Uh, Brendan and Kirk were just champs um, and just full of hope. And so that encouraged us so much. So we fast forward a little in time, things got back to normal. Looks like cancer's gone. And um, we had some great moments for about a year or so. And then, summer 2016. Tammy was in the hospital for what seemed like something that was unrelated. And we found out that it came back now for a third time and in a place where they can't operate. And yet, we're not going to give up hope. Because God can do anything. And if he wants to, he can say a word and he can heal this. And if he wants to, she could be on pills for 10, 15, 20 years and live a long time. So we go into the next step. And we go through that part. And then, <laughs> then we were dealt kind of a big blow on July 5th, 2017. Yeah. See days, So we had spent the day together and ended with Tammy playing cards with one of the kids, or maybe both of them. And throughout the day, she complained about a headache. And I asked her if she had taken anything. No, I haven't taken anything. And why didn't you take something? You know how those conversations go. (laughs) And so we put the kids to bed. We laid down on our sectional couch with our heads a couple inches apart, feet facing the other direction. Started to fall asleep like we normally do. And I heard a sound that I'd never heard before and I hope I don't have to hear again. And I knew almost immediately what it was. But I asked Tammy to sit up and she couldn't sit up. And so I helped her sit up, and I might have pulled her left arm out of the socket at that moment, I think, but that's neither here nor there. And so I asked her to raise her left hand, and she couldn't. And I asked her to smile, and she couldn't. And for those of you that know what I'm talking about, it's the VAS test for strokes. So I immediately called 911. I told them that she had a stroke. They asked me why I thought she had a stroke. I said, she can't smile, she can't raise her left hand. Like, she a stroke. Okay, we'll send somebody. Um, meanwhile, the kids are upstairs. They don't know anything that's going on. I called my parents um, so they could come get the kids. Uh, who do you call next? I called Pastor Kerry because I knew what I needed at that point. And then I called my life group leader because I knew what I needed at that point. And uh, they were quick to respond. And they came in and, you know, I mean, they checked her out and, okay, we're gonna take her to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. And when I got there, PK was already there. Uh, One of our life group people was already there. And uh, Tammy was still Tammy. I think she made a joke about PK, if I remember right. And uh, could only barely talk, still making jokes. Eventually we got through the red tape and they decided to take her to Charlottesville. To Martha Jefferson, because there's somebody there that could help them, but they couldn't fly her over in Pegasus because it was raining, so they had to drive her over. So in the car on the way over, um, my dad took me home, I packed a bag, this wasn't my first rodeo, going to a hospital at this time of night, knowing that I might not come home, and so um, I rode over in the car and I just plain and simple asked God not to take her that I wasn't ready. And uh, I didn't realize how close she was, actually. Found out later that that stroke that she had would kill three out of four people. There was a doctor over at Martha Jefferson called an interventional neurosurgeon or something like that. Basically, he goes in and tries to pull clots out for people who are having strokes to try and help them retain their, uh, as much of their brain functions as they can. He worked for four hours, couldn't get the clots out. Tammy was actually awake the whole time because they had to make sure that they weren't doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and so so I had to hold her hand and tell her what happened because she had no idea, and uh, we were in CCU for, I don't even know how long, two or three weeks, Um, so I would get up at about four o'clock in the morning, get ready, drive over the mountain, make sure I was there before the neurosurgeon was so I could, understand what's going on, stay there till 8 or 9 o'clock at night when she went to bed. I did that routine for a couple of weeks. For the first four or five days, it was pretty hit or miss whether she was going to live. Um, so it looked like she was finally going to live. And I'm like, man, I can go to church. I need some encouragement. I was dressed. I was ready to go. The neurosurgeon called and said, swelling's getting pretty bad. I'm like, what does that mean? Well, what it means is they cut open the skull and try and relieve the pressure. And so I said, was there anything else you can try? He said, we can try one thing. Got in the car, drove back to Charlottesville. Got answered answer prayer at uh, Alternative worked. Tammy was going to make it. And we didn't have to cut open her brain. Uh, cut open her skull and let the brain seep out. So, long story, she eventually got through that part. We got through that. Uh, part of things, but God worked on me so much during those two and three weeks. And I heard his voice mostly through music. Okay? Um, I mean, I put on K-Love and the message on XM, and I just let that roll. And there's a ton of songs I can quote to you, Hills and Valleys, Torn Wells especially, um, which Tony Bennett mentioned the other night, by the way, you won be national to mention championship five, <laughs> and, you know, um, Class of championship. Classic 95. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, in the eye of the storm, Ryan Stevenson, praise you in the storm. Uh, there was an even if one by mercy me where he very specifically says you can heal me right now if you want to. But even if you don't, I'm still going to be there. I'm still going to praise you. And so hope was a big thing. And so somewhere in the middle of all this, God gave me a verse and I don't know why I couldn't shake this verse. Um, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11 and uh, so for those of you that need some hope tonight, go find a verse in God's word and grab a hold of it and pray into the truth of it over and over again. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you and then there's all different versions of this but I like to give you a future filled with hope okay our hope is Jesus Christ Jesus Christ Okay, So whether Tammy was going to make it or whether she wasn't going to make it, I knew what her future was, and I know what my future is, and I knew what Brady Carey's future was. So uh, there were some things that blessed us immensely along this journey. Tammy fought her way through rehab. If you've never been to a stroke rehab facility and you need some humbling, go visit and understand what those people are going through. It's amazing. Tammy had to learn how to eat. She had to learn how to talk. Uh, They tried to teach her how to walk. She had to learn how to brush her teeth again. It was an incredibly humbling journey to go on with those people. And she fought her way back, fought her way back. So hope springs eternal again. And we come back and uh, we got Tammy back to church. Uh, which is only a minor miracle. It took three of us to take her to the bathroom one Sunday, but, you know, that's how it goes when you roll in a wheelchair and you only got half your limbs. I've had people tell me stories about seeing her in church. And so this journey wasn't about us. It's about Jesus. It's about God working through us. And um, so probably the most meaningful thing is we'd already decided to have Brennan and Kira Uh, baptized, and Tammy got to participate in that, and she got to be there for Paul Wilbur, and uh, it was a good weekend. It was probably the last good weekend we'd have for a while. So not too long after that, Tammy went to the hospital, and uh, basically they told us she had something going on specific, but basically the end result was that she had a month or two. Um, And that was really hard to tell her. She asked me. I told her, I asked her if she really wanted to know um, because she was somebody that hoped no matter what. And uh, I think it took a little bit of the steam out of her. But I think looking back now, she was also weary. Yeah. And uh, she held on for another month. Yes. And then uh, uh, November 7th, 2017, uh, she gave her last breath back to God and uh, went home. And the kids and I have, it's been tough. It's been tough, but we've, pers- we've persevered because we have hope. Yes. And it's not hope that comes from us. It's not hope that we got from anybody else. It's only the hope that we can get from Jesus. Yes. And So some of you need that word, you need that hope, hang on to it. All right. And the rest of us will come around you. Because I can't tell you how many hundreds of people came around us when we People I didn't know. People delivered meals. People, I had one person, I had my laundry. Someone I called my laundry angel that actually, I would put my laundry outside. She would come get it, take it, do it, bring it back to me. I mean, it was amazing how people come around you when we ask. And Adrian knows that I'm kind of a, I'm not the person to ask. Tammy was always the one to ask. But uh, I've grown a lot through this. And I've adopted a lot of things that Tammy taught me through this, too. And so I just I hope that some of you got encouraged tonight. It was a tough ride, and it still is. Okay, um, this is my first men's retreat. Um, I don't know if it'll be my last though, but it was definitely my first. I think this was the right time, actually. Um, so even though PK was on me for a lot of years to come, uh, I think this was the right one for me. So I have one more verse that uh, I want to give you. Um, Maybe it's a different verse. Maybe that's what you need. Go look up verses on hope and hold on to them Uh, because God's promises are true. And they're written all in his word for us. And this isn't a Bible, but the Bible is the leadership manual. Right. right, Um, And so, by the way, if you want a, a song on leadership, go listen to Confidence by Sanctus Real. I mentioned three of Brian's people by name. Um, And it talks specifically, the first line is, I am not sure if I'm prepared to do what you have me to do. Okay? Guess what? That's right where we're all at right now. Okay? Let me give you this verse on hope. If I can read, it's pretty dark in here. Okay. Grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us, has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. That's Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. That was the message. There's another version that PK probably likes a little better. I'll read that one too because it's it's a little shorter. Okay? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. Okay? And I have one other thing I want to share with you real quick. So, I'm not a person, like I said, that shares. Somehow in the middle of this, uh, Tammy had this huge circle, okay? And so, in order to communicate with this circle, like I was doing Bridge, and I had a a text message group, I had all kinds of people, like, bother me, okay? In a good way, okay? But as an introvert, that's like, let me be, like, you know. And so, but I actually shared with, with all of my customer base, what I was going through. And there was about a thousand people on that email list. And what I got back was, I got back the, a song, big surprise, from somebody who had lost her granddaughter and it just about broke her, she said. She said, I just, I was almost broken to the point. And this song, she said, basically helped pull her out of it. We listened to this song in the car for three or four months on the way to school, every day. It was a way to help Kira, in particular, cope. So it's called I Will by Citizen Way. When the shadow won't leave and the battle won't stop, and every breath you breathe takes all that you got. How many of you are there right now? Been there. When you wonder if you're always going to feel this way, hear the Lord of heaven say, I will hold you when you're breaking like a father and a friend, and I will carry you through darkness till we see the sun again. I always thought S-O-N, by the way, but it's S-U-N, and has been the verse. Uh, so rest your head and cry your tears. Know that I am here. Go forth and know that he's always with you. When you can't lift that weight, believe me when I say I will. And there's more to it, but I'm telling you, that song got us through a really tough time. Because God's always there. And we have to let go of our burdens and let him lift them for us. Right. So thanks for giving me a chance tonight
1: talk about leadership Derek would say he's an introvert he would say that he'd prefer to sit on the sideline but uh God thrust him into the middle of being a parent all by myself. How am I going to lead? How am I going to? And the Lord has provided. Tonight, if you would, would you just close your eyes for a minute? Um, You know, we could say amen right now and be done. I think it would have been worth it to be here tonight. But uh, tonight, you might need hope. You might just be really honest in saying, "I, I related a lot to what Derek said. Maybe not his exact situation, but tonight, if you were really honest, you would say, I need some hope. We're going to pray right now and we're going to worship. But as we worship tonight, I've asked two of our pastors, Pastor Roger and Jim, they're just going to stand in the back of the room. And tonight, if you would just be honest and vulnerable and say, I need hope, we're going to sing. We're going to worship and the presence of God is here. But tonight, there's an opportunity for you. To just not, not have to feel alone in your journey. And so there's nothing magical about walking the aisle and having someone pray with you, but I promise you there's power in prayer. Amen. I promise you there's power. Yes. Walking out from under the isolation, that the burden that you carry. And so tonight, I, you might be a pastor, you might be a leader, you might be... Might feel like an outsider in this group, you might, but you're here, and if you need hope, you don't have to walk alone. So Jesus, now you're already here. I'm so grateful that I get to be in the room tonight. And my life is richer tonight because of Derek's life and his story, and uh, it's more than a story, Lord. I've watched his life, and I've watched it when it's been hard and when it's not been easy, and still you get the glory. And we believe, Lord, we believe that even in our suffering, even in our darkness, even in our deepest valley, Lord, you're there. Your presence is there. Even when we can't see you, Lord, we choose, Lord, to recognize your presence. And we believe in faith that you you help us walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't stop there. We don't stay there. We don't live there. We don't die there. No, We walk through the valley to the other side so tonight, there might be at least one person here tonight who needs some hope. And Lord, hope is here. It's Jesus. So as we worship, Lord, as we sing, as our hearts are open, as our minds are open to you, would you just speak? Speak to your sons in this room tonight. Let them hear from you tonight. Let them hear from your word and your promises. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Let's sing now, amen, and let's worship. And tonight if you need prayer, um, this is a chance, this is an opportunity. If you need some
0: help, if you're in the room. I think God has a word for us. And um, it was helping me this morning, this idea that we are called to leave. Um, you might say, Pastor, really that's easy for you, but if, if I'm like some of you, I would say I'm very, very much an introvert. Well, that was helping me this morning. Um, I believe it was helping some of you as well. This idea that all of us as men are called to lead. And Brian had um, this definition up that we started with this morning. To lead is to initiate, influence, and serve in relationship with the call of Christ. To lead is to initiate, influence, and serve in relationship for the calls of Christ. And his example this morning as we looked was Jonathan and his armor bearer. And he talked about his study of Jonathan's life, Jonathan in the Old Testament, his life as Pastor Roger had encouraged him to look at. And he said, looking at Jonathan's life, Jonathan's answer to the Lord was an obedient life of yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. And then he wrapped us up, uh, leading us in the direction that leadership, this idea that we're all called to lead, that leadership, this sometimes daunting idea of being a leader, it actually happens moment by moment in our day-to-day lives. Moment by moment in our day-to-day lives. And um, as Derek was sharing, um, it came to mind, I didn't have this part planned, but it came to mind uh, as he sat down. Um, I have it marked in here in my Bible. Psalm eighty four was one of Tammy's favorite scriptures. It's marked here. It was read, I believe. Pastor Carrie used it at her celebration service, and and I just want to read. I just want to read the last few verses because um, I believe they speak into this idea that we're going into tonight. This idea of servant leadership. And, and the psalmist, the psalmist writes this, starting in verse ten, Psalm eighty four. He says. Um, now we're going to begin our time this evening um, together in our leadership covenant. So um, as we as we just center our hearts and our minds on God for these next few moments, um, I, I'm going to have it up here, but, but this is the covenant that we concluded with this morning, and I just want it to be our prayer as we get into the word and hear from God tonight. I want this to be our prayer this evening. So I'll begin and author and we'll say it together. I offer this covenant as a commitment and a prayer. By it I'll live, and in it I
3: will depend on the grace of God, activated in me and strengthening me. I know that apart from him I am empty, but in him I can live and live victoriously. I can do nothing on my own strength, all things through his. I believe in God, the Father, all-powerful. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, my Lord. I affirm that Christ is the only way of my salvation. I know that he is my model for living. It is my faith I am saved. I will obey him, living in his legacy. I understand that the Holy Spirit works in me the victim of sin, sanctifying. I therefore commit to the life of holiness by his power and provision, soberly acknowledging that the result of a life of sin is death. With this covenant I declare that my life is not my own, so I will live accordingly, taking up my cross. I will stand with confidence on the promises of God, no matter my life circumstances. I will be a man of his word, knowing that the Bible has everything I need for life. I will be a man of consistent prayer. As a son, I will be loyal and strong. If I am married, I will love my wife the way Christ loves his church always treating her as precious. She and I are one, and I will live accordingly when we are together and when we are apart. If I am a father, my children and grandchildren will see through me a glimpse of the love and mind of Christ. I will be a good friend, faithful and true. I will give generously I will tell others about Christ and the freedom to be found in him, showing others the way. I will strengthen my local church. I won't be afraid, knowing full well that he is always with me. I will accept and live my call to lead. I will love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as I love myself. I will live my days to please my Lord, the author and the finisher of my faith. In In his name, amen.
0: Amen. We praise him. Heavenly Father God, once again we come before you, and we're just grateful. Grateful for this time to retreat, um, to recharge, to refresh, and to refocus on you, God, and your call for our lives. Lord, thank you for fun. Thank you for um, what we've experienced already in these services. Thank you for the fellowship that's happened all around the island, around the tables and the restaurants, God, and will continue to happen um, throughout the rest of our time here. Lord, we give you this evening. I pray you would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be seated. And so tonight's focus, um, we talk about this call to lead. So what is the heartbeat? What is the heartbeat of a Christ-like leader? And how is that life even possible? And so we're going to look at this idea that we've already mentioned, servant leadership. And Brian dropped a guy's name this morning. His name's Robert Greenleaf. He's the guy who coined the term servant leadership in 1970. This guy coined the term that we know as servant leadership. And he says this. He runs the center for servant leadership. That's a, that's a thing. Servant leadership is a philosophy and set of practices that enriches the lives of individuals, builds better organizations, and ultimately creates a more just and caring world. Carrie Newall, a leader, church leader, pastor, he says it this way, servant leadership has become a popular term over the years, but the root of it is so important for leaders to understand and live out. We're all called to be leaders. That's what we've established this morning. When a leader truly believes that he or she is no more important than the lowest level personnel in the organization, when that is fully embraced, it is everything. And then the one that's included there on your paper is here on the screen behind me by Ken Blanchard. It's the author of the book that um, Adrian gave out this morning. He says this, in a sense, developing a servant's heart is a lifelong journey. It is my belief that you finally become an adult. When you realize that life is about what you give rather than what you get. And so I ask you to examine your heart tonight. In relation to this, have you learned, have you realized that life is about what you give rather than what you get? The shift from self serving leadership to leadership that serves others is motivated by a change in heart. It's motivated by having a change in heart, having our mind. Transformed, As Brian said this morning, servant leadership is not just another management technique. It is a way of life for those with servant hearts. Moment by moment, it is a way of life. So what about the Word of God? We've got some, some beautiful words here that can direct us through these leaders that, that we've heard from here. But what about God's Word? We're going to be in Philippians 2 tonight. Philippians 2, and I have the main text. Um, I have the main text, we're going to be scrolling through here um, on the screen behind me, but if you've got your phone or your Bible, you can turn to Philippians Philippians 2. Our versions might sound a little bit different, but uh, Philippians 2, we're going to read the first 13 verses. First 13 verses here, Philippians 2. Everybody say amen when you're with me. Amen. amen. All right, let's read. It says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, Highly exalted to him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't write this. Pastor Adrian didn't write this. This is the word of the Lord, and I believe it's for us tonight. As we began this morning, as we reemphasize tonight, to lead, to embrace this call to lead, is to initiate, there's action, to influence and serve in relationship for the cause of Christ. And so I want to propose to you this evening that the biblical call to leadership directs us in three ways. That the biblical call to leadership that we've established directs us in three ways. And that is a life of service over status. A life of service over status. A life of being filled with the mind of Christ. And a life of purpose over passivity, a life of purpose over passiveness. And Brian alluded this morning, leadership does not happen from the sidelines. It's a life of purpose. And so let's break down this passage tonight. Let's break down this passage from Philippians here, this very well-known passage. You've probably heard it. You've probably heard it before, but I want to break it down tonight and look at a few other scriptures that speak into the ideas that Paul is urging this church in Philippi to. Because I believe he's speaking to us at this Men's Retreat 2019, um, just as he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And I want us to remember that, that sometimes we open the Word of God, and I think we think it's for unbelievers because of the suffet. But these letters that Paul wrote, this was written to the church people, to believers, so that they could be faithful servants of God. And so this letter is for us tonight. And I want to look at the first four verses uh, in trying to understand this idea of service, a life of service over status. Just saying that is countercultural, but a, a life of service over status. And I'm going to reread the first four verses here. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, he's kind of making a rhetorical statement here. He's saying, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, And I want to stop on that word love, because in the Greek understanding, the word love had many meanings. But the word love here in this passage, in this sentence where Paul writes, this translation of love is the word agape. Maybe you've heard that. This translation of the word love that Paul uses here is agape, and it's distinct from erotic or emotional love, as we often refer to the word love. This idea of agape is this Strong non-sexual affection. It's a regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. Especially, and this is what especially characterized by a willing forfeiture, a willing forfeit of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. In another person's behalf. So this is the word love that Paul uses. If there's any consolation from love, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's going to keep going. He's going to keep going and understand to describe what he means by one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And this word nothing in the Greek, this term, it actually just means nothing. Okay? Okay. There's no, there's no Greek understanding there. <laughs> Sometimes I think we read that though. Isn't it easy as a man to read that? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You're like, Come on. Do nothing? I mean, are you for are you real, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. Nothing. Brian showed us a clip this morning of the basketball game of Jonathan and Michael and this young man who, who said, I just, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want any praise. I, my parents taught me to have a, a heart of humility. And he, He's playing an opponent's team, but gives the other team the ball. He, he's seeking the interest of, of the, the enemy, the, the other team. The, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others. As better than yourselves. As better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, I don't think anybody in here would say, "Yeehaw," haw right? I, I'm not hearing a, a "Yeehaw." haw amen to that. Because, because this word, this word's not a, a word that just settles easy when we hear it. But what does this look like? What, what does this look like, really? What is is the model that Paul is exhorting these believers to? What is this idea that that he's speaking into their lives? This idea of service over status. And if we turn to John 13 and verse 3, we begin to get a picture of this. We see the model that that Paul has in mind. We see the model that Paul has in mind when he's writing this letter to the church. John 13, beginning in verse 3, he says, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus, this is our Savior, Jesus, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. Now Jesus was rabbi. He was Lord. He was teacher. And we don't fully understand this idea of foot washing in today's culture. I mean, we just kind of say, well, that's a little weird. But in their culture, it was necessary. It was a necessary hygiene practice. They weren't sitting at the table like at Jason's and had the nice chairs and the benches. Their tables probably sat about two or three feet off the ground, and they would recline at the tables. They would sit with their feet behind them. They were sitting on the floor. And so back in those days, they didn't have Nikes. They didn't have uh, closed-toes Uh, Penny loafers—they didn't have those things, so you wore sandals, open-toe sandals, flip-flops, whatever, whatever you could get. Some probably going barefoot, and so so walking through their day and time, and in their streets, whatever's on the road, um, got on their feet. Poop, the mud, the the sewage, the food that was thrown out, whatever was on the road, they tracked in on their feet. And so this idea of foot-washing was just a common practice in their time, but it was a practice held for the lowest of servants. Foot-washing was for the lowest of the low. I mean, that was, you know, that that was their job, to wash the feet of those who would come into the house. And it appears, uh, obviously, probably not coincidentally, that there is no servant there that evening. So Jesus, their teacher, their Lord... (coughs) The one who came from God and was going to God takes off his outer clothing, makes himself vulnerable. I mean, just him taking off his outer cloak made himself vulnerable, but then he gets on his hands and knees and does the job of the lowliest servant. This is the model that Paul's referring to. And so Jesus washes their feet, and we get this interaction with Peter, and and we won't look at that, but in verse 13, Jesus sits back down at the table. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. Jesus affirms, you know, Peter's like, you can't wash my feet, and uh, surely not you. I'm not worthy of And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter's like, dude, give me a shower. Like, come no. on. <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, no, that, that's not necessary. And so Jesus sets back down, and he's affirming, though. He's like, I am teacher, and I am Lord. You're right, that is who I am. So, in verse 14... So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. That you also should do as I have done to you. Now, we we don't like this. We don't like this as naturally as we would like to, do we? I mean, this this is like, especially in our manliness, and, you know, it kind of, kind of rubs us the wrong way, this idea. Like, okay, Jesus, I get it. Come on. Pull back a little bit here. But Jesus says, I've left you an example. Due to others, due to one another, as I've done to you. I had a, a training for um, something in the district that are required of ministers in, in their force of training in the Church of Nazarene, Virginia district. And one of the leaders there, he's a pastor on the Virginia district, and he said this. It was pretty powerful. It's challenging. He said, I told the Lord, and this was earlier back in his life. He's experienced a lot of heartache and, and different things. But he <laughs> told the Lord, he said, Lord, if I have to be a fool, if I have to be made the fool and a failure for you to get glory out of my life, so be it. And we said, well, come on. What's up with that? But well, what he was saying was, God, if you have to make... A failure, an example of me for you to get glory out of my life. If I have to be made low for you to be raised high, so be it. My life is yours. My life is yours. That's the heart of a servant leader. We often, because, because our, our culture has demonstrated and, and taught us to think, we often see leadership as about <laughs> building power and, and control. Right. Often our perceptions of leadership is about the one who has power, the one who has control. And, and it certainly, in that, in that mindset, doesn't look like humbly assuming the lowest position, right? I mean, that's, that's a new way of thinking. Jesus is turning these guys' minds upside down. We perceive, in our day and age, we perceive that leadership is about special privilege. It's about, it's about carrying a a status, a position, but Jesus articulates and more importantly, Jesus embodies that leadership is not about status. It's about service. It's about service. And so here we see Paul exhorting the the believers in Philippi to to this idea that he talks about in the first four verses. And we see him exhorting to them. But here, here in this this picture, uh, from the, the night that Jesus would be portrayed, we see that true manliness. The culture says a lot about what a man is. But we see here that true manliness, a life of godliness, a life overseen, a life directed and led by the man of all men. The man of all men. Jesus Christ is a life that pursues service over status. And that is the embodiment of true manhood. The book of Proverbs tells us that humility comes before honor and pride before a fall. Humility comes before honor and pride before a fall. Leading a life of service over status requires, it demands us to have a humble heart. And our culture our culture doesn't preach humility, especially not as men. We're not going to be told to be humble, to walk humbly. But leading this life of service over status requires and demands from us a humble heart. And Jesus speaks to his 12 disciples, a, a group of 12 ordinary ragtag men, often near some water, near the sea, meeting, talking, eating. He speaks to his 12 ordinary men and says, Hey, now you go do as I have done to you. Now you serve because I, your teacher, your Lord, have served you in the most humble place. So what about you? What about you? Now we are blessed. What has Jesus done for us? He hasn't hasn't washed our feet, right? I mean, Technically, he hasn't washed our feet. So what has Jesus done for us? We, we, we're blessed in some ways to live on this side of the cross, right? We're blessed to live on this side of the cross, which is what Jesus has done for you and I. Romans tells us that. Yet while we were still sinners, while you and I were still sinners, enemies of God running the other direction, both fingers in the air, whatever your life demonstrated, while we were enemies, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is what he's done for us. He laid down his life. He laid down his life. He went to the cross. He suffered at the hands of those who sought to end him, to put him to shame. And he bore our weight of sin on that cross. He buried it in that grave. And three days later, he rose again so that you and I could have new life. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's demonstrated the heart of a servant leader. He's demonstrated it in his life, in his death, and praise God for his resurrection. But you see, his disciples, his disciples didn't have the privilege we had. Right? So we stand on this side of the cross, uh, and we see their story. We see these ragtag, ordinary 12 men, and they didn't have the perspective that we had. Let me take you there. Mark 9, verse 30. Mark 9 and verse 30, it says that they left that place and passed through Galilee. Now, Jesus is with his followers. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, and he's referring to their 12, the 12. He had groups following but at this moment, he's talking to his 12, his, his, his 12 men. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise he's telling them where they're headed he's telling them where they're headed on this journey and the next verse says but they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it they came to capernaum when he was in the house he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road jesus looks at his 12 disciples he says what were you guys arguing about Verse 34, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, I don't know if you saw what just happened, but Jesus pulls his 12 good friends aside and he says, listen, fellas, this is where we're going. This is what this kingdom looks like. This is what's about to happen. And these guys, these guys don't get it. Like I said, we're blessed to live on this side of the cross, but these guys, these guys don't get it. And so he finishes telling them about what's to happen, and literally they get to where they're going, and he says, what, "What were you guys talking about?" They didn't want to say it because they were talking about who was the greatest. They were talking about themselves. Like, you know, who, who's the greatest among us? I don't know. I mean, I've done this many miracles. I, well, I healed this, uh, cast this demon. You uh, know, Jesus. Jesus likes. To, he talks to me a lot. You know? Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said... It never says that they ever even say anything to him, but he's Jesus, right? Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. And the servant of all. Oh, so they should get it, right? Nope. Chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Jesus is going into more detail. He's like, surely they're going to get it this time. Three days later, he will rise. Okay, that's where that scripture ends, if you've got your Bible. The very next verse. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And all their manly macho, these sons of thunder, we can no we not. (laughs) Give me that cup. And Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And so these guys... They've been hanging with Jesus. They've been rolling with Jesus for years now. The journey's about to come to an end. And they seemingly don't get it. This idea of living a life of service over status. Jesus is is laying out the plan that Son of Man, that He Himself will be healed and rise again. That this is the way of the kingdom. That taking up our cross daily is the call of Jesus But the disciples are are concerned with status, position, and esteem. And so on the night of his betrayal, he gives them one more example. when he washes their feet. He doesn't shame them. He serves them. He serves them. And so now it's easy. I don't know if you're like me. It's easy to be like, uh, shake our heads and be like, these knuckleheads. Like they didn't get it. Come on, fellas. That many times. But uh, have you been there? Have you, have you ever been there in your life? Are you there now? Are, are you there now? Is Jesus speaking something to you? And it just, you know, you've, you've allowed your heart to get a little hardened, and And Jesus is saying, hey, listen to me. Listen to me. I got something good for you. I got some plans for you. And it's just like, Jesus, okay, I got you, man. Let me finish my thing. Uh, let me take care of this. I got some plans. I, I just need one more. Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Is, status, is a status more desirable to you than the call to serve? The call to embody the heart of a servant. To be a servant leader like our Lord and Savior. And so Paul continues in our passage this evening picking up in verse 5. Let's keep going. He says in verse 5, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. But Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Not only did God put on incarnate flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Not only did he become incarnate, and not only did he come to dwell in our neighborhood so that he might save us, that he might redeem us, and put us back in right relationship with God, he even came so that he might die. That God himself might die. But not only die, he would die in the most shameful, humiliating, torturous way that possible. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us have the mind of Christ. Paul says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a suggestion to to these believers, and it's not one to us tonight. The mind of Christ is a must for Christ-like living and leading. To live out this call that we're stepping up to uh, this week. To live out this call to lead the mind of Christ is a must. I said that this passage is going to take us in three places. Service over status. The mind of Christ. And living a life of purpose over passivity. And, and you see sandwiched between there is the mind of Christ. Because in my mind, I'm a sweets guy, and so like it's like an Oreo cookie, right? It ain't really an Oreo without the cream in the middle. And so, it ain't really a life of leadership, of, of, of service, without the mind of Christ filling us, directing us, leading us. It doesn't matter how much we serve. Or how much purpose we want to muster or find in our lives without the mind of Christ. It's really not possible. So what does it mean for us today to have the mind of Christ? Jesus said, if anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This way, this way of leadership in the kingdom of God is is a way of cross-bearing daily. It's a way of cross-bearing daily. Daily. And you see the cross in Jesus' time, as I said, it it was humiliating. Nobody went to the cross to have their life redirected or to have it cleaned up. They went to the cross to have their life ended. And so when we bear our cross, we're reminded that the old man has died. That the new man is alive in Christ Jesus. That the new man is alive in Christ Jesus. Somebody should be excited about that because this affects every area, every relationship of our lives. You know, this has become a passion. This is God has done something new in my life in the last couple of years in this area of leadership and servant leadership, but also this idea of having the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ. And so I've shared a little bit, but about two years ago, God brought me to a place of uh, uh, you know, I had been I was almost almost four years into ministry at the church and and you know, I'd surrendered a lot of bad habits and a lot of things to God. and You know, I, I desired to please God. I desired to please Him. But there was just always this tension in my life. And there was always this wall that wouldn't seem to fall. These chains that wouldn't seem to break. And about two years ago, God brought me to the most humbling place I've ever been. And um, he said, Billy, I, I, I need all of it. I need all of your, all of your heart. You want to be the leader, you want to be the husband, you want to be the father, you want to be the servant of God that I called and created you to be, then I want all of you. And through complete surrender, God has begun to do things in my life over the last two years that only God can take credit for. And some of you know my story and God has been so faithful. Not that I'm deserving and some of you could it could tell your story, but what I've learned What I've learned in the last two years, what I've learned in the last two years as a husband, as a father, as a man and servant of God is this, that His favor, that His favor cannot and will not rest on your life. Cannot and will not rest on your life if there is anything in your life that you know is contrary to His will and to His word. When that's present, and this idea of biblical servant leadership will be a constant struggle and, quite frankly, not even really possible. you would be at war with yourselves. you would be at war with your wives. you would be at war with your children, with those you work with, with God. His favor will not rest on your life if there's anything that He's speaking to you about. That's contrary to His will and word. Be selfish motivation. This is me. This is me. I don't know what it is for you. For me, the selfish motivation, pride, and arrogance, lust, which is a, which is a passionate desire for something that isn't yours. Whether it be women, whether it be wealth, or whether it be the worship of man, we can lust after all those things, fellows. But if these things are present in our lives and we're seeking the favor of God, we're seeking the power of God to live this life of, of leadership that he's called us to, it, it, it it's just not there until we come to the end of ourselves, fellas. And I want to affirm something that I, that I read recently. This author said this, and, and this might sound a little heavy, but he says it's impossible. For you to maintain and cultivate the mind of Christ, if you're a television watching, internet surfing, magazine flicking, now these aren't my words, this is the author, internet surfing, magazine flicking, couch potato, in one week you will see more murders, adulteries, and perversions than our grandfathers and great-grandfathers read about in their entire lifetime. Instead of filling your mind with trash, you need to fill it with goodness, with the Word of God of God. And the author continues, he says, you can never have a Christ like mine without reading and listening to the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. Wow! Pray, pray. And we, say, we said it in our covenant, and we're, we're coveting to be men of the word, right? That's one of our calls as a leader to be men of the word of God. And I can tell you personally, and I believe for each one of us, That the less time I spend in God's word, the less time I'm with God and in his word, the more likely I am to drift. The more likely I am to drift. And I can tell you this, that nobody drifts into a life of holiness. The less time I'm with him and in his word, the more likely I am to drift. Men, there's a plethora of news sources we have at our disposal, whether on the TV or on social media or whatever it is. They can be used for good. But they can be a temptation to persuade you and influence you otherwise. In the other direction of this idea of having the mind of Christ so that we can be the servant leaders God's called us to be. I ask you, I exhort you to be very careful what you allow to feed you on your feeds. Amen. They're called feeds for a reason. There's Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, the news feed, even the news ones that you like to watch, be very careful what you allow to feed your mind. On your feet. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor Billy, I thought this was about servant leadership. This is about servant leadership. Because, gentlemen, tonight, this idea that we're talking about, this call of God to lead on, this idea of servant leadership. If we don't have this right, if the vertical relationship isn't right... If there's something hindering this relationship, then this relationship, this service, to whoever it might be, to our wives, to our children, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, this right here can never be what it was designed, and God calls it to be, if this right here is not right. So this is all about servant leadership. Have in you the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 34, The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and so they gathered together one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments... Hang all the law and the prophets. Leadership. Biblical servant leadership. Biblical servant leadership is only possible when we are living in loving obedience to these two commands. It's only possible when we're loving the Lord with all that we are. And out of that love, we can't put the cart before the corset, out of that love, then we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Then... We can serve selflessly as the men God has called and created us to be. Servant leadership, men, is what a life of holiness truly looks like. It's what a life of holiness truly looks like. A life transformed and filled by the holy love of God. And that takes us to our final place tonight. A life motivated with purpose over passivity. Purpose over passiveness, not sitting on the sidelines. And in verse 12, we pick back up in our passage, and Paul says, therefore, bear with me, we're getting close here, therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is encouraging the Philippians, and, and God encourages us tonight to continue pursuing God's transformative work in your lives in their lives. He says, "As you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence but much more now in my absence, this idea of obedience is obedience is evidence of faith in God. Obedience, Our obedience is evidence that we have faith in God." Well, what about this idea of working out our salvation? What is that? Working out. This idea here is an emphasis. Paul writes this as an emphasis that our obedience is intentional and purposeful. It is not passive. This idea of working out our salvation says your life, your call to lead, your call to lead and live this life that I've called you to, is with purpose and intention, not passivity, not passiveness. It doesn't happen on the sidelines our salvation is evidenced in our embodied reality in our day-to-day lives moment by moment as Brian said this morning the leadership that is lived out moment by moment with your wife with your kids with your co-workers with your neighbors with those you don't agree moment by moment the idea of purpose requires pursuit The idea of purpose requires pursuit. Servant leadership is a call to purposeful living. Pursuing Jesus. Pursuing your wife if you're married. And might I add, you cannot pursue your wife if you're pursuing pornography. And it's going to be really hard to pursue Jesus too. But there's hope. Pursuing Christian community. Pursuing the good of your neighbor, pursuing a mentor, no matter how old you are, but young men, pursue a mentor, or two, or three, someone to speak truth into your life. But you see, men, all of these things, all of these pursuits are action and relational oriented. Action and relational oriented. There is no drifting happening here for the man of God who is called to lead, who is called to serve. There is no drifting. We are to live a life of Purpose. We are to live purposefully, not passive. And so, however, if, if we want to live this life of eternal significance, we must We must give ourselves wholly to Christ in humble surrender. I have this tag on my dashboard in my car. It says, good intentions aren't good enough. And if you know me, I've got to be reminded of that daily. Good intentions aren't good enough. Good intentions aren't good enough. Trying harder will never get you to this place that we're talking about tonight. It's not try harder, gentlemen. It's trust in Jesus. Amen. It's obey Him. Lean on His Word. Remember this. And here's the good news tonight. You know, listen, here's the good news. I don't, I, I, this, is, you know, this is heavy stuff. This is what men's retreat about, right? Being stretched so we can be the men of God that He's called us to be. And to eat some good food and enjoy some fellowship. And, but this is what it's about. I want you to remember this tonight. That God, as Paul concludes, as Paul concludes in verse 13, it is God who is at work in you. Enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God will give you the grace to do what he calls you to do. God will give you the grace to do what he calls you to do. Because the enemy is a liar, and he's probably whispering in one of your ears right now that's not possible for you. You've tried that, and you've tried and tried, and it's just exhausting. So keep doing what you're doing, and, and you'll get by. But I want you to know that I, that's a lie. Yes. That God will give you the grace to do what he's called you to do. In his power, he will enable you to be the leader that he's created you to be. The servant leader that he's created you to be. And so what, what will you do tonight? Pastor Joe wants to come. And we're going to have a song here in just a minute. But there's two ways that you may be tempted to respond tonight. You may be tempted to respond to this idea of leadership. And the first one is to do nothing. Right? If we were honest, that's a real temptation is to hear this stuff and to get fired up about it for a few moments. But when we leave the island and that ferry hits Hatteras and we're on our way home, we just do nothing. One temptation would be to do nothing because passivity, this passive response, has become increasingly characteristic of modern men, young and old. But it's not a characteristic of the man of God. A challenge can be seen as an opportunity to duck, to just pull the covers up and say, you know what, no thank you mm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not, not gonna do it, do it. I, I mm-mm. what do they call it, they call it the, the paralysis of analysis, we get overwhelmed with this stuff, and we just get paralyzed, and so the voice in your mind may be saying, I can't, because, well, my dad, he wasn't a good example, I can't, because I might fail, I, I can't, because my wife won't I can't because I I don't know how. And I, I can't because I don't have help. And so, well. So, one way we may be tempted to respond is to do nothing. Or the other way, that's equally as deadly, but on the other end of the spectrum, is to respond legalistically and turn this somehow into a checklist of religious self righteousness. You know, some of you men are are wonderful, wonderful leaders in organizations You run your own business. You actually have positions of, like, real authority with a lot of people underneath of you. And you're really good at getting the job done. And as men, we really like to get the job done, right? We like checklists that we can look at and say, I knocked them all off. Honey, the honey-do list is done. But that's a temptation tonight, to turn this into a checklist and say, all right, did it. Yep. Read it. Okay. Serve this month. Okay, got it. My checklist is done. God. Can I sit on your left or your right? But you see, that's that's not God's call for us tonight. That's not the call for us tonight here uh, on this night. The invitation tonight. The invitation tonight is choosing to respond in faithful and loving obedience. Instead of the I can't, it's the the, I will follow the example of Jesus. I will depend upon God's power. I will obey God's word. I will seek help and support from godly men and community. I will. I will. So the call tonight, the invitation then. The invitation tonight is to humble surrender. Humble surrender to whatever it might be hindering God from having His way. Humble surrender to the call to lead on, the call to be the servant leader. As Brian said this morning, maybe you've identified I'm just not that kind of man. That's not for me. The invitation tonight is to humbly surrender to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, the servant of all, to be transformed, filled with the mind of Christ. So that the idea of service over status and living purposefully over passivity and just sitting by on the sidelines, it becomes a heartbeat and outflow of your heart because your mind has been transformed. In you is the mind of Christ. His love is feeling and overflowing out of your hearts because you said, "I will, I will obey, I will, be, I, I will follow Jesus." As would you bow your heads with me tonight, just for a few moments? The invitation tonight is to humble surrender, to humble surrender. Remember what Paul says: but I see, God will give you the grace to do what He's called you to do, what He's calling you to do tonight, because it's His power working you to will and to work for His good pleasure. Isn't He so good that He gives us His own power? He doesn't leave us trying harder he fills us he transforms us he gives us his mind moment by moment leadership, servant leadership happens moment by moment relationship by relationship and so I want to give you a chance to respond if that's you tonight, if tonight you, you, if you're feeling the Spirit of God in your heart, and tonight you want to say, I humbly surrender. In this place, in this place, Men's Retreat 2019, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground and say, I humbly surrender. And I invite you just to kneel where you're at. Just to kneel. We're not going to move. We're not going to fill the aisles. I just ask you to, to kneel at your place. To kneel where you're at. And say, God, I, I surrender to you tonight. To the call to lead on, to the call to be the man that you've called and created me to be, Lord. Forgive me for choosing passivity and desire and status, God. Tonight I surrender to a life of service, a life filled and fueled by the purpose that you have for me tonight, God. Fill me. Give me your mind so that I might live faithfully the life that you've called me to live, the life that you've called me to live, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises that Derek attested to earlier and that we've heard tonight. God, thank you for your promise that you will give us the grace what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray for these men as they kneel in, in humble surrender to you. As they kneel in humble surrender, a posture of humility. A humble heart is required. We have to be humble to be a servant embody the life that you have set before us, the example that you gave us, Jesus. You are Lord, our Savior, our Teacher. So God, I pray for these men that are kneeling. God, whether they be surrendering something that's hindering you from truly transforming them and giving them the mind of Christ, God, or whether they're humbly surrendering tonight to the call that you are calling and placing on us this week to lead, to be men who lead in every relationship, in every day, moment by moment, to call to lead as servants. I pray for these men tonight God. I know your grace, I know your grace is meeting them where they're at. Your, your word says it, and we claim your word tonight as true for our lives, as true for our lives. We are coveting this week to become men of your word to fill our mind with your word, with your goodness. With your truth, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to make my home, my dwelling in the tents of the wicked. Lord, we, we want to be the men, the servants, the husbands, the fathers, the brothers, the sons, the co-workers, the neighbors that you've called us to be. And we confess right now that it, we can't do it. But in faith, we know you can and you will as we faithfully and lovingly obey you and your call in our lives. We give you this evening. We give you the rest of this retreat. It's in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name. You can continue to pray or you can stand and worship as Joe needs us this evening.